Everyone has questions. The Bible has answers. In this Ask Me Anything session, listen in as Pastor Chris Chadwick answers practical, theological, and even some crazy and miscellaneous questions from the Bible. All right, well, um, you, had, you took care of all the jokes, so we'll just move right along here. Uh, we really tried to divide these up into different types of questions, and so uh, we'll just hit it. Uh, first one, Pastor, uh, what is the Bible reference for having church on Resurrection Day and not the Sabbath? Follow-up question, did Lydia, Aquila, and other converts initially meet on the Jewish Sabbath? Uh, the, the easiest part of that question is the second part. Did Lydia and Aquila uh, and the others meet on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath? The answer to that question is yes. Uh, we read about that, Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 35. Um, I did take some opportunity to review these so I could get the right Bible references on them. What's a scriptural reference for having church on Sunday? Um, Acts chapter 20. You can look at these with me, if you will. I'm actually going to take time in my Bible to look up them up. Um, so as soon as I get there, I'm going. So if this is a sword drill in an independent Baptist church as a kid, somebody's going to stand up and win, but I'm going to do it. Acts chapter 20, verse number 7. Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Um, so they met on the first day of the week. Can you turn me down just a tab bit in the monitors, Dan? Thank you, brother. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 2. Last chapter in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. We just want to give you, I guess it's a good question. There are people who meet on Saturday. Um, some people are called Sabbath Day Baptist or Saturday Baptist in the South. They don't say Sabbath in the South. Um, verse number two, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. Revelation chapter one, verse number 10. Uh, now we're getting to the slow pages because you don't want your whole Bible to flip open on you. Ah! Revelation chapter one, verse number 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. The examples that we see throughout the New Testament of church happening in the New Testament, insofar as the Lord's Day, though church happened on a very, very regular basis, many times you'll read that they met every day or every night. Uh, the Lord's Day is always on Sunday in the New Testament. Yes. Always on Sunday. There's never a time when it's not on Sunday in the, in the New Testament. You might have days in the New Testament where they're worshiping on other days, and that's a wonderful thing. Like we might have a special meeting or something like that. But Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day of his resurrection. It's the day that we celebrate his resurrection. So great question. Uh, and yeah, the Bible is chock full. And you, now we're not traditionalists. The Bible trumps tradition. I'm going to be very clear about that, Okay. Uh, but we have a tradition all the way from the time of the apostles until now that Christian churches, that Jesus-loving churches meet on Sunday, which is one of the reasons why we don't have a Saturday night service at Canyon Ridge. Right. We say, well, it would be more convenient. We might even reach a few more people. Yeah, but it's not the Lord's Day. That's why we do it. And again, we're not throwing stones at people who are different. Get me, understand my heart on that. We're not throwing stones. It's just why we do what we do. People can do whatever they feel the Lord leads them to do. That's just why we do what we do. Hope that helps. Staying on the topic of the church and church membership, uh, this question asks, how has church membership changed through and after COVID? Uh, <laughs> 
people have certainly got grouchier. Just being honest. Certainly got, now our church, I think, is an exception, but I talk to pastors all over the country. By the way, we ought to be an exception from the world. That's right. And how many of you know that in your daily life, people, people get super angry about just slight issues now we're used to. We just kind of overlook stuff. And by the way, grace is the, is the Christian response to everything. So church membership through COVID, let me speak broadly, and our church was affected by this, is that now everybody suspects authority of lying to them. And by the way, I might say this, if you saw some of our government officials and the double back and the back talk and the, or the walking back and forward and the pushing of agendas, I can understand why people are suspicious of some authority. I, I get that. People are, are suspicious even of one another. I find that really troubling that everybody thinks somebody's trying to get one over on them. Um, it, it's, um, th- there's been a loss of commitment We've even seen that back in the day, somebody would get offended a little bit and they would do the biblical thing and work through it, die to self and move forward. Now, in in some ways though, again, God has blessed and protected us as a general rule across the country. And even back in the day when COVID first happened uh, or when COVID was first ending, if people got offended, they were just gone. One family pull up and they're like, you don't make people wear masks. I'm like, "I, I, I don't have the authority to tell people outside that are grown to wear masks. And they're like, well, we're never coming back here. And they were true to their word. They were very committed to that. Just not Jesus. And a lot of people think that online church is the same thing. And it's just not. Let me just be super candid with you. Online church is nowhere near the same thing. People say, well, I get the same information. Church is not simply about the gathering of information. We could give you some theological textbooks to get that. Church is about the exhortation, the encouragement, the fellowship, the corporate worship, the corporate prayer, the corporate humility. You don't have to show humility if you're in your living room sitting on your couch in your pajamas down in a bag of Fritos drinking a Dr. Pepper and watching me preach. You just, there's no humility in that or whatever your favorite snack may be. But when you have to come to church and be like, yeah, I go to a church and my pastor wore vans and they were too colorful for me. I'm a bland, boring person. I, you get to die to self. And, and that's part, part of it. I could keep going. But I would say that those are the big issues. Authority, commitment, and humility. And so, And let me just say again, if you're watching online, it's not a substitute. I don't say that to be rude. We have some people with some major health issues. We appreciate that. But church is not to be viewed online. We can use it to further the gospel. Praise God for that. But we are to gather together. It would be a really bad marriage, which the Bible equates church membership and marriage. It would be a really bad marriage if you had an online marriage. Some of you call that a deployment. That's not a good, how many of you ladies are like, I can't wait for my husband to deploy so we can have an online marriage. I just, that'd be, no, that'd be terrible. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to church. I'll move on because we're watching the clock. Thank you, Pastor. Um, Shifting topics a little bit uh, to tithing. Uh, Outside of monetary blessings of tithing, what other blessings should we be looking for in the context of this is someone who has been faithful in tithing and even in faith promise giving, but is not doing well financially. Um, 
I think there's some clarifying questions that have to be asked. Um, like there's issues of timeline. Sometimes people tithe, let's say, for a very brief period of time, two or three months, and then they're like, well, how come God's not taking care of all of my financial problems? Well, it's issues of a timeline. Or I've been struggling for a period of time, two, three, four, five, six months, I mean, like 12, 13, 14 years. There's an issues of, a, of timeline. There's also issues, and, and again, I just, I don't know the person. We don't know who wrote. Nobody put their name on it. We couldn't ask any follow-up questions. I'm just saying before I could give a fair answer, I would have to say, and I'm going to work at giving the answer, but there, there has to be some questions that would legitimately have to be answered to give a, a fair or a, a, a truly honest answer. One of the questions would have to be uh, issues of stewardship. Praise God that you tithed, but what are you doing with the 90%? Or you praise God that you tithe and gave to missions and let's say that you give four or five or 10% of your income to, to missions. Let's just say 10% just for easy math. Okay, what are you doing with the 80%? If with the 80%, you know, you're going to every Padres game and you have season tickets to the San Diego Symphony and you take four vacations a year, um, yeah, there's probably a reason that you're struggling financially. I'm a fountain pen guy. Every time that the Sailor Pen Company comes out with a new fountain pen, if you're buying a fountain pen, there's, there's probably a problem there. You should at least only buy six a year every other month. <laughs> totally teasing, Amen. totally teasing. Um, I don't fish, hunt, or golf. I buy fountain pens and workout equipment. Uh, Zane talked the other night about his last Sunday night about workout equipment in his bag and you accumulate stuff. I went back to my bag, brother, and I counted the number of knee braces that I have. I have nine knee braces in my bag and another one at home. So I have five sets of knee braces and I don't know where they all came from. I just, well, I do, Amazon. Um, <laughs> but there could be some other issues of finance that you are, that you are dealing with. I, I, I was, as I thought of this question, I know a young man uh, that I know him well. And um, over the last two or three years, he's spent over $20,000 eating out and online video games. And before you go, oh, I'd never do that. You might want to run a budgetary item and see every time you eat out and the number of streaming services that you have. Because $299 never seems like a lot until you have 2299s. And then you have $60 a month that's going out the door. And then you have YouTube TV or cable and a phone bill and all of these things. So I just think there, there might be some issues of stewardship. I would say, though, um, Proverbs 27, 23 says you're to know the state of your flock. Meaning, you got to know what your finances are doing. You have to follow that. Some of you, I see, and I don't know, again, I don't know who wrote the question, but I see some people that drive brand new cars and you're very, very young. I, I wish that you would follow the Chris Pank model. Find a car that relatively might get you and your family somewhere. Learn to do some work, spend a few grand on the car. But some, I've seen car payments recently, seven, $800 a month. If you're under 40, why? Well, I don't want people to think that I'm poor. You are. <laughs> it's okay. One day you'll do better if today you'll be humble enough to accept where you're at in life. I would rather have a lot to give 
than pay a big car payment. Debbie and I, are, her engine blew up uh, a couple of weeks ago and by the grace of God, it was still under warranty. And so we had the engine repaired and then they called us, do you wanna do this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing? And so we sat down and had a conversation. Okay, are we looking to buy a new car the next year or two? And we, we save money and all of that. We could do it. We, church takes good care of us. We could afford But we're like, no, we've got too many things we want to give to, too many places we want to go. We'd rather go to Cambodia and give money away to start ministries and ministries in China, ministries all over the world and give to missions than I would, Debbie, to be buying a new vehicle. And so I just think some of those questions have to really be asked. And you have to know where you're at in life. And if your outgrow, uh, outgo is greater than your income, you're in a net negative and you might need to do what Debbie and I did for years and that's eat peanut butter and jelly and ramen and when your friends go out to eat you know you order a pine float you young people don't know what a pine float is it's water with a toothpick in it and that's okay be humble enough to accept that but people can't go to college because, and, and people can't afford to give and people can't afford to do and can't afford to do and can't afford to do and can't afford to do because they don't want to ever be seen as not having enough when in reality, you just don't have enough. Just admit it. And then what are some monetary blessings? I love doing that to you just as you raise it up. I think it's something. Monetary blessings, uh, contentment, contentment. God gives you contentment. There's a verse in the Bible about it. I'm trying to think what it is. Be content with such things as you have. Thank you. And be content with such things as you have. Contentment is the greatest joy in life. I don't have time to tell everything about envy that I want to, but you've really got to fight envy and enjoy contentment. The book of Philippians is the book of joy. Matter of fact, it's called Paul's Joy and Crown. He calls the church at Philippi his favorite church that there is. They, they were the canyon ridge of their day. Amen. No, I'll say it again. They were the canyon ridge of their day. They were poor. They were extremely poor. The Bible says they had deep poverty. So just keep that in mind, contentment, other things. And if you want a follow-up question to, again, I, we're, I'm stabbing in the dark a little bit on that, but I would love, we would love to follow up with you on that. Why is there conviction during AMA even without a sermon? <laughs> um, that's not on the questions. Oh, oh. That, was that was supposed to be funny, but everybody was like, yeah, why is there? They're thinking through who asked that one. <laughs> uh, no, great answer. Thank you, Pastor. Um, what a, a financial question again, kind of along the same theme. What if you're in substantial amount of debt, uh, yet you are giving to missions and still remain in debt? Um, do you pay off your debt, then give to missions? Or what balance do you recommend having? I think there's, again, some stewardship questions. Why are you in debt? Missions giving never really causes anyone to go in debt. 
That'd be a violation of the principles of Scripture. Cast thy bread upon the water, they'll find it after many days. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not in thine own. No, no, I'm sorry. Um, um, Good grief. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and they press. Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruit of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses burst out with new wine. Missions giving doesn't put anybody into debt, but new vehicles do. Vacations do. I'm for new vehicles and I'm for vacations. I'm not against those things. I'm against those things if they're going to put you into a financial bind. And so um, what led to your debt? Debbie and I have given more to emissions for years than we give in the tithe. And we give way more than 10%. But we don't always eat out. We don't always go on trips. We don't always go places. Um, and, and I think there has to be a motivation question. And, and that is this, why are you giving to missions? Are you giving to missions so that you could get out of debt? I don't, I don't think so. But I, I, I think, in all, again, stabbing in the dark, trying to attack or uh, attract the heart here. Um, there are really deep questions that have to be asked about stewardship, motivation, and finances. And if you say, well... I've been doing this for three years. You know, some people, it takes them a long time to get, it doesn't take a long time, I should say, to get into debt, but it takes a long time to get out of debt. Every one of us in this room could probably be about in $100,000 in consumer debt in about three or four months and not even realize it. And that takes years to get out of. And I know what somebody's thinking, well, my financial plan is, let me just tell you, if your financial plan is anything other than spend less than you make and pay off your debt, you have a crappy financial plan. And it's not going to work. It's not, I don't care how arrogant you are about it. It's a biblical principle. It's a financial principle. I'm a big fan of the Dave Ramsey model of envelopes. I don't think you have to have a physical envelope. But some of you need to cut up your credit card and get rid of your Amazon account. You say, well, it's so easy, right, to go into debt. How many of you have bought stuff on Amazon? Not sure why you bought it. And before you ever used it, you ended up giving it away. Am I the only one? I've done that. I know the rest of you aren't proud. I used it one time, Pastor to dust off the counter or something, but we we can buy stuff so easily. And so maybe you just need to go to a a cash basis. Anyway, what what do you do? Do you get, if God told you to give it, you give it and you make whatever sacrifice that is necessary. Can I weigh in for three seconds on that? Do it. Um, Being as I don't think you were ever in this position, but when my wife and I got married uh, back in 2010, one of us had made some very poor financial decisions leading up to that date. Uh, I will leave you to decide who that was. But uh, It we wasn't were in, his wife. <laughs> we were in a lot of debt. And I'll, I'll just say personally, and some of you may have experienced this as well, God will never tell you don't give to missions. Right. Uh, he may not tell you to give as much as you think you should give to missions, but we always gave to missions. Uh, that may have meant that we paid off our debt at a slower rate. But at some point, God allowed some events in our life and things happened where we were able to pay off our debt. And so uh, never stop giving to missions, but never use missions as like a way to twist God's arm to get you out of debt quicker. But you'll get there, um, and God will be faithful in that. And we can 
personally testify to that. Amen. By the way, before we forget, I want to tell everybody who helped with the decorations for Christmas, great job. I love it. Would you give them a big hand? They spent a couple of days just doing that. I want to tell you how thankful I am for that. I meant to do that earlier, and, and thank you for doing that. Okay. Let's uh, go deep theologically here, okay. uh, talking about kids a little bit. Uh, what is this thing called the age of accountability, okay. and what does the Bible teach about children getting saved? Uh, the age of accountability is an age where uh, children really know the difference between right and wrong and can cognitively, reasonably choose to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And what does the Bible teach about children getting saved? That unless we all come to Christ like a little child, we shall all likewise perish. So children are the example of faith. They are not the exception of faith. Great answer. Um, Follow-on question to that. Okay. When should a child be baptized? It's a big question lately at Canyon Ridge. Um, and I hear people say things like this. Well, I want to see if my kids are really serious. I want to make sure that they really live for Christ. Is that your role? Is, is that your role? Or is God speaking to your kids and your kids need to learn to obey. If God works on your kids, you should never discourage that. Amen. Now, you do, I, and, and that's why I said, to a degree, I understand that. You want to make sure your kids are serious, but if you're like, yeah, my 14-year-old, I just want to make sure they really live for Christ before they obey Christ. Because baptism is a step of obedience. Or my eight-year-old, I want to make sure that they really obey Christ. I want to see they're really committed to Christ. Is that the standard in the New Testament for baptism? It's, you're adding with that. Now, I'm going to come to the, the other side of it for just a second. But you're adding to the scripture what is not there. And you're putting a, a a burden on these people. And Jesus literally said he would rather, he would, he would put a millstone around your neck and drop you in the deepest sea if you did that to one of these little ones. So I'm not saying that we want to aggregately go and, and just try to force baptism on kids or salvation. We work really diligently at Canyon Ridge to make sure that children are serious. Gloria and her team, the Cardozas, the Panks, if a child wants to be uh, saved, we're going to talk to them. We're going to deal with them. We're going to answer every question they have. We're, we're not going to just simply um, push salvation on a kid. We're not going to ever try to get them to just simply pray a prayer. We want to make sure that they truly understand salvation, repentance, Jesus, changing teams like I talked about this morning, whatever the case may be. Um, we want to be serious about that. But if they're genuine and serious and God's working on their heart, why wouldn't you let them? Amen. Matter of fact, why wouldn't you encourage them to be baptized? I don't understand that. You say, well, what if they have to get baptized again as a 13-year-old? As a Okay, we'll let them. That's a good thing. And by the way, uh, if, if you come and say, I'm not sure about my salvation. I, I, I'm just not sure. I've got, I'm so confused. And you feel like praying and asking Christ in your heart. We're, we're going to deal with it in a long way. But if you genuinely say, I thought I was saved then. I'm getting saved now. We're, we're going to rebaptize you. Amen. We did that with Zane Garza 14 times before he realized it. <laughs> he took Navy Diver way too far. No, I mean, but he came, he thought he was saved. He had been, were you baptized here twice? 
and, and I baptized him, and then he was uh, in, uh, were you in Groton, Connecticut? And uh, God just really brought conviction into his heart, and I remember the night that he called me and said, Pastor, I, uh, I don't know how to tell you this. I think he was a little bit embarrassed, and he's like, I got saved. And I'm like, I know, like a couple years ago at your Lutheran college. He goes, no, like I got saved. I, it was either tonight or last night or whatever the case may be. And awesome. We want people to know. So if God's working on their heart, let God work on their heart and encourage them to be obedient. Baptism is a step of obedience. Could it be that the reason they're rebelling against you is you're encouraging them to rebel against God? Well, I wouldn't encourage them to rebel against God. Well, not systematically you wouldn't, but practically you are. Systematically, you would never say rebel against God, but in a practicum or the practical way, what you're saying is until I say you're serious in your walk with God, you don't get to be baptized. So that's what we think. Thank you, Pastor. By the way, my daughter Judith uh, got baptized four, four times. Four, four, was it four? That was three. Was it three? I got baptized four times. My brother got baptized six times. Pray for him. He still needs to get saved, but he's been baptized a lot. <laughs> he needs Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the jury's still out on Zane, too, by and the way. And the jury is still out on Zane. Callie has not assented to his salvation. <laughs> um, one more question about kids. Okay. Um, this one is a slightly different tack. Uh, how does a parent help and pray for their child who has experienced trauma, either abuse or loss or something of that significant nature? Um. Kids go through a lot. Let, let me tell you the biggest lie of Satan is that kids are resilient. That, listen to me. If you believe that, you are playing into the hand of Satan. Kids are not resilient. They're fragile. That's why God gave them parents. To protect them and to help them. Well, they seem, seem to figure it out, preacher, and they just make their way through it, and they do fine later in life. You're an idiot in the biblical sense. Let me not say idiot because Anthony King's watching this so he can preach a sermon later. Um, <laughs> you're foolish. You're foolish to think that kids are resilient. We're beginning to understand the trauma and the stress that our decisions put on kids, that our actions put on kids. So what do we do then? How do we pray for them? I love this question. I don't know who wrote any of these questions, but I, I assume it's a loving parent that wrote this question who their child has maybe experienced some things. I try to pray a couple of prayers. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according to his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I pray that over our church family all the time. Amen. What do you mean you pray it over? I pray, God, give, and I'll mention names, give them grace and peace. Can, pray it'll be multiplied unto them through the knowledge of your son. Help them, Father. I would pray that prayer. I, I, would, I would read that prayer and I would pray that over my children specifically. I, I would pray Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the spirit, love and joy, joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and faith and temperance. Against such there is no law. God, I pray that the, the, you realize the first three, four of those are all internal, emotional, emotionally related fruits. That the fruit of the spirit inside me is love. 
and joy and peace. Children are supposed to be joyful. I worry about kids that are grouchy. I'm not talking about quiet. Some of you have quiet kids, but I worry about kids that, that, that and I, I just worry. I just pray for them. God, help my child to have love and joy and peace. I, I would also pray Proverbs uh, 3, 25 and 26. Lord, uh, be not afraid of sudden fear, neither des- the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence. Lord, help them to find confidence in you. Help them not to be afraid of sudden fear. Wherever there's dysfunction, there's almost, whenever there's dysfunction, there's always a trauma. And it's often played out in disorder in the home. When I walk into a home or I see a home or even a vehicle that isn't clean and it's just like like really messy and the driver is comfortable with it, there, there's, there's some trauma in my mind that went on in that person's life that's undealt with. So I want to pray for that. When, when I see people who, who can't be vulnerable and open up, there's a trauma, and we want to learn to deal with that. Either there's a trauma or they're from the Midwest. And probably the worst one of those is the Midwest. But you know, I'm, I'm being facetious a little bit. But we, we want to pray for them very specifically, that God would give them grace over that. We even want to pray that God would give them grace over that and bring somebody in their life, a spiritual mentor, listen to what I'm about to say, to help them guide through the problem. I I want to stand up and I want to preach this just because I feel very passionate like I did this morning in the 1030 service. Some of the best things you'll do for your kids is beg God to bring a godly influence into their life that they can talk to without you there. The reason some of your kids are jacked up and struggle is because you don't allow anyone into their life other than you. And you need to pray that God would bring some godly person into their life. It could be a pastor, a youth pastor, a godly person in the church, a godly friend. And by the way, you might, if some of you think they're godly because they say Jesus' name and they have the, the fish sticker on the back of their car. That doesn't make you godly. That can make you creepy. But true godly people, you, you want godly people involved in their life. We have parents regularly who come and say, Pastor, do you think you could spend some special attention with my kids? Just talking to them. And if it's a boy, this is normally what I do. Hey, how's, how's it going? And we punch each other in the leg and we hug and we laugh and we move forward. That's how we live it. Why? Because that's normally what boys need is a godly man and they would just joke around and have fun. But when, when it's time to get serious, they know that, hey, we can be serious and I'm going to help you journey through these problems, whatever they may be. And so if you have a kid that's gone through trauma, then you need to beg God for them and that God will bring someone into their life. And don't buy the godless lie of a godless world that kids are resilient No, they are fragile, and that's why they need a parent. And that's why they need a church that loves them and cares for them. And by the way, church, that's why some kids irritate you. You say, Pastor, do you ever get irritated with the kids in our church? Every one of them. 
but I love them beyond the irritation. Yeah, I irritate them. Now, I do it on purpose, but we do. But we move forward through that in a loving relationship. Somebody said to me one time, they said, it's like you're friends with the kids at Canyon Ridge. I am. I am. I don't get to spend the time I want to with most of them, but I want to high five them and love them and fist bump them and elbow bump them. And when the kids are small, when the boys are small, I headbutt them. Well, if your kid was, was young here, we headbutted. About four years old, we stopped that because it hurts me. So, but we, we just want to do that. So anyway, I pray. I'll move on. Uh, I will resist some follow-up questions, Pastor. Uh, that was a heavy topic. Um, okay. Let's ask another serious one. Uh, who do you love more, Baxter or Molly Joy? <sighs> I love her. I'll tell you right now. Uh, hands down, I love them equally. It's not They're not kids, Pastor. Yeah, that is not a true statement. They are not my kids. When they die, they'll be gone forever. Molly Joy wins every day of the week. Every day of the week. Can we hear some awes for Baxter? <laughs> you said, why not, why not Baxter? Because Baxter only likes Debbie. Like, like the whole day. Oh, he likes Natalie too, but Natalie doesn't live in our house anymore because we've put away childish things. Um, <laughs> no, but Baxter, when Debbie leaves the house, Baxter will sit on the couch by the door the whole time. If she's gone, if I'm at home working that day uh, from the office, he'll sit on the couch for 8, 10, 12 hours, however long she's gone, and just wait for her to come home. All day long, Molly Joy's in there with me, jumping on my desk, jumping on me. The other day, I took a nap, and I was laying on the floor, because you take a nap on the floor so you don't sleep too long. And so I was taking a nap on the floor, and she snuck into my room, and she put her nose in my mouth and just started licking me. I'm like, you creepy dog. She just like, oh, yeah, I love, I love her. I'll go home tonight. She'll jump all over me like it's the first time she's seen me in months. How many of you think that every child needs a dog? Next question. Yes. Um, the Bible what? says. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, Be quiet. Uh, Abigail and Jaina. Jaina's asleep, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pastor put she her to sleep already. She stays awake in the sermons. Abigail, do you think your daddy should get you a dog? Can you say it loud real quick? Okay, if anybody in the church gets the wants to go in and we'll start a GoFundMe account and we'll get the lines a small little dog, I'll give the first $200. Can we hear some awes for the kids who will not get dogs? <laughs> Can we hear something for the kids that God's going to kill their daddy in the next week? I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Next question says, <laughs> we are to love all people, Pastor. says it right here, we are to love all people. No, serious, serious question. Uh, thank you guys for your humor. I really appreciate it. I wasn't um, trying to be funny. <laughs> all right, serious question, serious question. We are to love all people. If a gay person really wants to attend our church, would everyone truly welcome him or her? I would assume so. We have gay people who attend our church all the time. You say, who are they? Well, we don't really point that out. We, we don't point out who's stray or who we don't, we don't have like a, a, a G and an S stamp to put on your wrist like a church nightclub. <laughs> so Zane gave me that illustration. He went to a Lutheran college. Um, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, of course. And by the way, if you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible talks about there were people that were formerly gay in the church. Can gay people be saved? 100% gay people can be saved. Absolutely. The grace of God will minister and reach everyone. They have some hills to climb over. That's for sure. That's for sure. There's, there's some challenges, but the challenges never supersede the gospel of Jesus Christ, nor the grace that he gives us to love them. Amen. Is a transgender person welcome at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church? 100%. Amen. Well, I'll feel a little bit awkward. Get over it. Amen. By the grace of God. I literally mean you're going to have to pray about it. Like, Lord, help me, especially some of us that are older and grew up in a different generation. God, help me to get over it. That person needs Jesus. That person needs to come to Christ, just like the straight folks that don't have Christ. Yes, we want to help every single person we meet, gay, straight, non-binary, bi, or one of the other 52 genders that our state recognizes, if you will, to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and find hope and healing in the gospel, because the gospel can reach everybody. Can we get an amen? Amen. So anyway, yeah. Amen. So whoever asked that question, I hope you feel the heart of Canyon Ridge. Yes. Um, another, this one is a difficult question, or at least I thought so. Um, is burning in hell an okay punishment for sins? For instance, if my kid disobeys, especially in something they hadn't heard me say yet, they were just supposed to morally know, and then I kick them into fire as a punishment, I'd be a monster. So how is it appropriate to send people to burn for eternity? The Bible talks about hell in Luke chapter 12, verse number 5, 16, verse number 23, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4. Uh, this is a, um, a genuine concern that people have and often a concern that agnostics and atheists will ask us about. Um, let me say this first and foremost. Number one, you're imperfect. God is perfect. And you're not getting kicked into hell. That's the eternal destiny of everyone who is born. The default is not heaven. Born to die and go to hell. That little baby, those little babies, uh, I had a great niece that was here today, Abigail uh, was her name, four months old, my brother's granddaughter. Um, and uh, she was born a sinner in need of a savior. Uh, now, until the age of accountability, which I, I didn't answer that earlier, I don't think, but six to ten years old, probably, four to, six to ten, probably, somewhere in there. Until the age of accountability, be, she'll be safe. But as soon as she can differentiate between right and wrong and Jesus and good and bad, as soon as she can understand that, uh, her eternal destiny is hell. And there is no hope for her apart from Jesus Christ. And there's no hope for me or anyone apart from Jesus Christ. So if somebody says something like this, well, it would be, yeah, I would be a monster, right? You would be a monster because you're not just, but God is. God gave us his law. God gave us his word. God gave us himself. And if you reject all of that, your eternal destiny is hell. God's begging people to be saved. And I don't use that in a sacrilegious, like, beggar on the street. But he literally says in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse number 11, turn you, turn you, turn you from your evil ways, for why, were you, why will you die, O house of Israel? God desperately desires people to be saved to the point that he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die for the sin of mankind. Zane, would you turn that air conditioner off? No one spoke more about hell than Jesus. And not believing in hell or not believing that a person's going to go to hell isn't going to change the degree of hell one, one number. 
It's just a reality. The default is hell. Heaven is for the repentant. So that's my answer. Shifting to a personal, practical question. Um, I work 70 to 80 hours a week and have a family. How can I take time for private worship? I know this isn't our staff. They don't work more than 20 hours a week. So <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, they work a lot. We all do. Um, uh, how can I um, take time for private worship? Um, well, I would encourage you, one of the things that I often try to do in, st- in times like this, when people say things such as this, is just to have you keep an accurate count of every 15 minutes of your day and do it for three days in a row. Yeah. It's what time management experts and, and um, time management counselors, if you will, or consultants always have people do, is to break their life down into 15-minute increments and see what you do in those 15-minute increments. And it's almost invariant, I mean, it, it almost never fails that people will spend two to three hours of wasted time a day. I'm not even talking about like intentional relaxation, watching TV or something. I'm talking two or three wasted hours a day. So that'd be the first. I'm not saying that this person who ever wrote the question is wasting time. I'm not saying that for a second. I don't know. Don't know the person. But I would say uh, check your time. And then figure out a time if it's on a lunch break. And by the way, if, if you're working so hard you don't get a lunch break, you might need to think about ratcheting it back a little bit. Ratcheting your job back a little bit. Remove the, maybe like, no, everybody's depending on me. That's called the Messiah complex. The world spun for thousands of years before you came. And if the Lord tarries is coming, it'll go thousands of years after you're gone. And me. So maybe we need to ratchet back instead of 70 to 80, maybe 60 to 70. And, and probably bring more health and a holistic approach to life and living before us. And, and then I would say that... Um, I would encourage you, and let's say, let's say that it's absolutely, you have no other time, okay, just for the sake of, of, of discussion. You have no other time, 60 to 70 hours a week. I'm sorry, 70 to 80 hours a week. You have a family. You try to see them. How do I have time for private worship? I would say take 15 minutes a day. I don't have 15 minutes a day. Memorize scripture, put it on three by five cards, and go to the bathroom at work for 15 minutes a day. And get classified as having irritable bowel syndrome so you can stay all you want. I'm being facetious. I'm I'm literally saying, though, just make it happen. My relationship with God is more important than any other relationship that I have. I'm not going to go a week without spending time with my wife. I'm not going to go a week without spending time with my Lord. And it might be 10 or 15 minutes a day, but it needs to be intentional and personal. And you have a time of prayer, but we're to stay in an attitude of prayer. And time in the word, but attitude in the word, which is why I've been exhorting you to memorize scripture over and over again. So you can meditate on scripture throughout the day, even if you're super busy. Staying on the topic of private worship, home life, what do you do for family devotions? And thinking specifically of small kids, and if you have any resources, that'd be great. Uh, Debbie and I sit Baxter and Molly down in front of us, <laughs> and they howl a hymn. Um, no, uh, I was, I've, I've always said this. I was the worst at it. Growing up, our family, my brother and sister are here, we, we did it at different times, and my parents were pretty good. We would all read a section of the Bible. Uh, we'd go around and read a section of the Bible, then we'd pray, then we'd leave. I, I am, um, 
by nature more of a creative person. Like these shoes really excite me. Some of you are like, I like black. You bore me to tears. I love our music. It's not uncommon for me every week to say, hey, Bernie, let's try this. Hey, let's try this. I just like being creative. And so monotony really troubles me. My dad loves monotony. Matter of fact, he's like, I'm a plower. I just like to stick it, the, the, the plow in the ground and just go till I die. <laughs> My soul. If I had that philosophy, I would want to die. So I wasn't very good at it. We tried a variety of things. We would have conversations. Really what it came down to for us is we just really used every single opportunity we could to talk about the things of God. Uh, We would be watching a TV show and Debbie or I would pause it and we would bring biblical application into that. Uh, We would pause if we were on a car trip or, or even at home, we would listen to Adventures in Odyssey, which we sell them in our bookstore. You can get them online as well. We'd listen to those and we'd pause those and talk about about those things. Uh, we have a book. By the way, Bill, I think, I don't, do we have the fallacy detective in there? Would you order that? Um, we have a book. It, it's a philosophy book teaching your kids about like the, the red herring argument or genetic fallacies or others. I forget all that they do. I think it's 16 different philosophies. We did that for like three weeks. Um, that was supposed to be funny. Um, thanks. Uh, we have a lot of resources in our bookstore. Debbie's really good at that. Gloria's a master at that. Uh, she does very well with Charlie, bringing the Bible down to his level. Um, no, she is very good at that. The Cardozas are good at that. The Lunds are good at that. Your pastor, that's just not something I'm good at. So I want to be honest enough. I don't, I don't, I don't praise myself for that. Matter of fact, I, I have repented of that so many times. Uh, but we always try to pray together, talk together, talk about the things of God, have deep arguments. There's a reason Judith and Natalie, everywhere they go, are considered the deepest theologians in the room. It's because we had the deepest conversations at home. There's, there's the conversations that we have as a, as a staff, which we're kind of known for that, are the same conversations that we have at home. And now that my daughters don't live at home, uh, though Natalie's home now for the Christmas holiday, um, we, we're always texting back and forth. And by always, I mean probably what, Natalie? Once every other week or something like that, not trying to exaggerate. Once every other week, a deep theological question. Judith will ask more questions than Natalie. She's kind of settled. Judith is a little bit more creative. And so she's always kind of, you know, fluttering like a fish out of water sometimes. And, and Natalie's a little bit more settled. And that's just a personality difference. And so... So, um, yeah, I talk to those people. Buy stuff in the bookstore. I was going to say, yeah, talk about the bookstore. Yeah, there's a lot of resources in the bookstore. And you say, I don't have any money. Can I be candid with you? We, we lose money every year in the bookstore. So we sell it at cost in the bookstore. We don't make a dime. We lose money every year in the bookstore. Literally every single year we lose money. Never has a year gone by that we've ever made a penny. We've always lost hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. But if you can see something in there, look it up on your phone. If you can get it cheaper somewhere, order it. I don't care. Our point is not you buying from us. I'm not starting a bookstore. Good grief. That's a, (laughs) that'd be stupid. Uh, I just want to get some good resources into your hands. And so if you get it cheaper from us, buy it. If you get it cheaper from somewhere else, buy it. But you might need to read like a a devotional book or something with your kids too. But if you buy it on Amazon, use Amazon Smile so the church gets some kickbacks. Thank you. Yes. Good call. All right. Let's talk a a couple theological questions. Um, What does predestinate and foreknow mean in Romans 8.29? 
Romans 8.28 is often the most misapplied scripture in the Bible other than Matthew, was it 7.1? Um, Romans chapter 8 will we'll be here pretty soon, like in March or April of next year probably. Um, uh, in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Well, what's the good? Well, the good is in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Um, we are non-Calvinistic here at Canyon Ridge. Uh, though we are thankful for the holiness and so many good things by many Calvinist brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're, we don't throw stones at people who believe a little different than us in some maybe what might be called difficult circumstance or difficult gray tense areas in the Bible. Verse 29 is a powerful verse because it says, whom he did for no. We believe that God knows who's going to be saved. The Bible says in the book of, I think it's 1 Peter, elect according to foreknowledge. God knows who will receive him, but he's not picking them insofar as going, you will, you won't. You will, you won't. You will, you won't. You won't, 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 won't. You will. He's not doing that. But he does know who will be saved and who will not. He's, he's omniscient. But he's not deterministic. It's the theological term. But for the person who is saved, whom he foreknew, he predetermined or predestinated that you would be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, if you're saved, God expects you to be like Jesus. That's what that verse means. Well, how should I be? Like Jesus. Why? Because that was what God determined for your life. As a follower of Jesus, you're to be like him. We used to sing a song back in the day, to be like Jesus. That's how we're supposed to be, is like Jesus Christ. And that's what that verse means. If you're saved, you are predetermined by God to live your life like Jesus Christ would on this earth. That's what it means. It doesn't mean God's picking and choosing. It means you're predetermined to live. That's why, now this verse, all, everything I just said would be different if he said, for whom he did predestinate, he did foreknow that you would be conformed to the image of his son. That'd be a different verse, but he didn't. He used the proper word or the words he chose in the right way. He, whom he foreknew that they would be saved, he predetermined or predestined that they would be conformed to the image of his son. If you're not being conformed to the image of Christ, you're out of God's will. It's God's desire that every one of us would be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay. Similar, or a question that touches on kind of the same issues. I'm going to read it really slow because I had to take a moment and think it through. Okay. Uh, if once we're saved, we're always saved, then we say that a lot, talking about assurance, then are truly saved Christians ever able to apostatize or leave the faith? If not, isn't this a Calvinistic doctrine? Yeah, just the way John wrote it up here, if once we're saved, we're always saved, can there be such a thing as a Christian who walks away from his or her faith? Um, let me say this, First uh, John 2.19, you should turn there real quick. Um, I want to read it exactly. Uh, I could quote it, but I might say a, a word wrong, and this is too powerful of a verse to read and quote incorrectly in this type of setting. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. 
but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There's no such thing as a Christian who walks away from his or her faith. Now, don't conflagrate or confuse Christian and Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. We'll have people through the years who, for silly reasons, one of another, or doesn't matter what they might be, who might say, uh, I'm leaving Canyon Ridge Baptist Church and I'm going to go to another um, gospel preaching church in the area. Okay, we're not saying they walked away from their faith, they left their church. They shouldn't leave their church, but they did. Are you with me? They should have had enough grace to work through it. We're, we're in a spiritual, if you will, marriage together, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, we should be able to work through those things and grow and develop in those areas. If a person leaves Canyon Ridge Baptist Church or any other orthodox gospel preaching church to go to a church that believes in iconography, the, the worship of idols, uh, that believes in a workspace salvation, denies Jesus Christ, the validity and the veracity of the gospel. And they do so because they say, I, I believe in these other things now. Then according to the scripture, they were not of us. And they went out to make manifest that they never were truly saved. You say, well, do you think there's exceptions to that? I don't see any exceptions in the scripture. Now, now I didn't write the Bible. Uh, If you can find an exception to that, please, after the service, come and let me know. But you're going to have a really hard time proving it because this is kind of the the standard that that Christendom has believed for 2,000 years. I mean, John wrote his book about 100 A.D., I think it was 96 A.D., something like that. Um, and uh, that we've, if you walk away from the faith, well, were they saved and now they're not saved? No, they were never saved is what we're trying to say. And they've apostatized themselves. And the New Testament, Bernie, who's my concordance tonight, it's Sunday night, I can't remember every verse. Um, it's very hard for them, in truth, to come back. And that's the, our churches went through this recently. Hebrews chapter 6, if they walk away, it's going to be very, very difficult. Quote the verse, help me out. What's the first word? Uh, for it is impossible for those who have been enlightened and have tasted the good word of God. I'm going to butcher it. And tasted of the heavenly gift and been made partakers of the Holy Ghost, that they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Yeah, they tasted it. They got really close. They knew everything. They were growing. And then they left and they followed an apostate or a, a, Hellenist or, or a hellish um, or cultic uh, theology. They were so close. They'll, they'll never come back. I, I've talked to any number of people in my life who say, oh, yeah, I used to, I used to be a Christian, but now, I go, now I'm a Mormon. And that, the, the tragedy is, is, it's not that they couldn't come back, it's that they won't come back. No. And I don't know uh, the, the purpose of this question, but right. there have been a lot of high-profile Christian leaders in the last year or two that have walked away and right. we would say they're apostate. We absolutely say they're apostate. They were never saved, and the sad reality is they probably never will be. Matter of fact, um, 
we gave Danny as part of our intern program. Danny, where, where are you? Danny, where are you? Where are you? There you are. How can a guy so big hide so often? I asked him in church, I'm like, where were you? He goes, I was right there, like on the first row in the yellow shirt. And uh, I'm kidding. He wasn't in a yellow shirt. But uh, um, we gave Danny a book on humility the other night and uh, yesterday. It was part of our intern program to read. And the guy who, who wrote the forward for this beautiful book that's been so helpful to me in my life, the guy who wrote the forward has literally walked, he, he's a guy that we used to sell his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, Josh Harris. Josh Harris used to be a avid, avid evangelistic pastor, and he has denied the faith. He is now a promoter of, of the gay lifestyle, of the transgender lifestyle. He has in total denied the veracity and the reality of the gospel. And I don't say that harshly towards him. My heart breaks in that situation, breaks in that, because I don't want anybody to walk away from Jesus and spend eternity in hell. I feel like we have to move into a lightning round here, Pastor. We have eight questions left uh, that we have. This gives you one minute and 15 seconds per question. Um, and some of them you might need more, but sorry. Okay. One minute, 15, 75 seconds. Uh, why is part of Isaiah 61.1 missing compared to Luke 4.18 in some of the new translations? The whole verse is there in the Septuagint. Uh Isaiah 61.1 is a prophetic verse about Jesus Christ and the opening of prison to them that are bound and the words that he would speak and the encouragement and the gospel. Um, why is it in the Septuagint and not in the modern translations? Because the modern translators translated, especially like the King James, and you would have even some other um, good translations, not as good as the King James, but good translations, the, the New American Standard and some others that would be literal translations taken from the Texas Receptus. It's because they translated from the Greek text and uh, they weren't making decisions like, oh, we don't like this verse. It's just the, the text and the most reliable text that they took in that moment. So um, the Septuagint is kind of the... Um, Greek version of the Old Testament. Thank you. Man, it's Sunday night. I'm, I apologize. And um, so that, that's why it is. It's just they translated it uh, word for word, uh, at least the literal translators, from the Greek text, and it wasn't in the Greek text. So they translated the way that they wrote it. And, and, and let me add this. Sorry. And, and, and let me add this. When, when Jesus quotes a verse or whatever, he often does what we often do, what Jesus does, I should say. And I often don't quote the whole verse. I'll quote partial verses uh, because I want to draw emphasis maybe to that point. Or I'm trying to save seconds, which nobody thinks I do, but I really do try. Is there a verse that helps you when you're feeling discouraged when the burdens feel too heavy? Um. Yeah, okay, grab a Bible. This is really going to be a sword drill. Uh, Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That verse has comforted so many people and it certainly comforts me. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 30. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, that's been a comfort to me. John 16, whoever wrote this question, just write these down. Uh, or maybe you want to write them down for somebody else. John chapter 16, verse number 33. I love this verse. Um, 
These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 2 Corinthians 1, 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. All of those are a huge comfort and encouragement to me when the burdens get too heavy. And by the way, if you struggle with depression or being overwhelmed, I would encourage you to memorize these verses. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The Holy Spirit will use these in your life when you're going through times of burden. That's why I say if you struggle with sexual sin, memorize Proverbs 6, 23 to 32. Memorize Proverbs chapter 7. Memorize 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 20. And the Holy Spirit can use those in your life when you're really struggling to bring them to your mind. Okay, next question. What is the strongest argument for pre-tribulation rapture? I don't have time because he limited me on time. 2 Thessalonians, the passage is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 12. This is a whole message for sure. And when I preach through 2 Thessalonians, we'll certainly deal with that. Um, I don't think I've ever done 2 Thessalonians. I will preach through every book in the New Testament, and then I will go home to meet Jesus. Um, 2 Thessalonians, though, 2, verse number 1, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming, talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in your mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as the day of the Lord is at hand. The day of the Lord is at hand. When's he coming back? I don't know, but it's at hand. What does that mean? It could happen any second. They thought this 2,000 years ago. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the Antichrist be revealed. You say, do you think the Antichrist is alive? I think the Antichrist has been alive since here. Does the, Bible, the Bible doesn't say until he be manifested. It says until he be revealed. The son of perdition. Whoso opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's going to sit in the temple, the book of Daniel, the book of the Revelation, and he's going to tell everybody to worship him at the midpoint of the tribulation period. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now... You know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time for the mystery of iniquity, the Antichrist, doth already work, only he who now letteth, that word letteth means to withhold, only now he, I'm sorry, he who now letteth or withholdeth, yes, will let or will withhold until he be taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit is preventing the Antichrist from taking control. Well, where's the Holy Spirit? He's in the hearts and the minds of every believer. And he's going to be there until the rapture happens. And so in order for the Antichrist to work, the Holy Spirit has to be taken out of the way. And the way that he's taken out of the way is to take us with him. Somebody could argue, well, God could just take the Holy Spirit out of us. No, no, he's promised us that he will not leave us comfortless. And so... I, whoever asked that question, I know a lot of people like that. Matter of fact, there was another question. Why don't you preach on end times dispensations or prophecy more often? Can I be honest with you? The reason that I don't is because for most, though I, God's preparing my heart for it. I already feel that God's preparing my heart for it. But as a general rule, most people need help with like gossip and coveting and not trying to figure out, you know, what what's the great whore of the revelation or the red heifer or what do these animals, you know, what do these horses of violence speak to us? What do they mean to us? I'll be honest with you. If you have your right eschatology, uh, what they speak to us is it's going to be really bad for those of you that are stuck here. I'm glad I'm going to be with the Lord at the marriage supper of the lamb. 
I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying that that's often why. We're trying to help people apply the Bible to their life in the real life time. And we will teach on it. I was talking to the staff today. There's some exciting things, really cool things that are going on. You mentioned uh, marriage supper of the lamb. Uh, mm-hmm. Why did God create human marriage? How should that influence who I date? Why did God create human marriage so that I can marry Debbie? How should that influence who I date? You're already married. I hope you're not dating. Amen. Next question. Uh, Yeah, next question. No, I I, I would assume that was given by a single person um, (laughs) or somebody who's thinking about it. Um, God created marriage for fulfillment, personal, emotional, physical, for procreation. The physical fulfillment and procreation, two separate things. Uh, We could probably give several lists of the others. Uh, God gave marriage to be closer than any other person. God gave marriage for us to help one another. God gave marriage to humble us. God gave marriage for pleasure. God gave marriage to glorify him. God gave marriage to be a testimony to a lost and dying world. Well, how should that influence who I date? If the person that you're thinking about dating won't fulfill you personally, emotionally, physically, don't worry about until you talk to me right before marriage. Um, it doesn't make you closer to the Lord. They don't bring you joy and pleasure. You, you can't see yourself glorifying God with them. You don't see yourself as being a testimony to a lost and dying world. Then you shouldn't date them. Yeah, but I really like them. And I just need to be married. Better to be single than married to the wrong person. Better to be single than married to the wrong person. Well, I find my identity in who I date. Okay, we need to talk about your identity then. Because your identity needs to be in Christ. So, anyway, I, I had 90 seconds. I took 91. We have four minutes, three questions. Uh, now you have a minute, 20 seconds per question. Is it biblically okay to be a sperm donor? We're going to ask Zane Garza to come and answer that question. <laughs> no, I think it's a fair question in our world. Um, I think there are some qualifiers here. Um, is it for you and your wife? I think you still have to ask some questions about that. Are you seeking counsel about it? This is what I found is that most people don't seek counsel. They give information. And I would never make a decision like that without seeking counsel from people who disagreed with me, whatever your decision might be. Um, Is this a workaround so that a woman could have a child without getting married? She never got married and she wanted to have kids and I just want to help her have kids. So you're a proponent then of children growing up in a fatherless home? Almost 80% of African-American children today in America grow up in a fatherless home, almost 80%, almost eight in 10. I think it's like 78, a couple of years ago it was 75, post-COVID 78, 79% grew up in a fatherless home. For Caucasian families, it's about, it used to be like in the teens, today it's 46%, almost five out of 10. You say, why is our country in the condition that it is? Because our families are terrible. Children need a mom and a dad, even a grouchy mom and dad. You might have a nice mom and a grouchy dad. That's what my nephews, my brother's sons grew up under. A wonderful mom and a grouchy dad. But they're better off than just a wonderful mom without a grouchy dad. Some of you, some of you ladies might think, well, I think my kids would do better if it was just me. That's just arrogance. Amen. Amen. 
You're just arrogant. Your kids need your husband. Well, he's not as nice to them as I would be. Right. Right, that's okay. Kids need somebody to say, suck it up. Move on. Stop whining. My daughters need to hear these words. I don't care how you feel. Because my wife cares how they feel. You say, Pastor, you really care how you feel. You just don't want them to know that. No, I really don't care how they feel. I care if they bring drama to my home. Why are you bringing drama to my home? Go somewhere else. Well, I don't have any money. Well, other people live on the street. You're about to. (laughs) Now, have I said those words to you? I sure have. I've said them to her sister. I'll help you pack. (laughs) Don't get a suitcase. I bought that. I'll sell you a black trash bag. I'm not lying. I'm not. They need somebody to protect them. They need somebody to care for them. So why in God's name would you bring that up? God's economy always has a mom and a dad in a loving, committed relationship that enjoy one another sexually, that the byproduct of that is procreation. He's having a kid. Don't work around God's order because men have figured out a few things. The other thing I would, uh, I would ask is, are you doing it for money? Well, I can get a lot of money. So let me get this right. You, you're going to put some sperm in a sperm bank, live your whole life, never know where your offspring would spend eternity? You might even die before they're born. These are deep ethical questions that really need a Bible answer. The Bible commands us as parents, and you would be the parent. The Bible commands us as parents in Proverbs 22, 6, to train up a child in the way he should go. You can't do that. And you say, well, she just really wants children. Why is, why is adoption not a better option? We have so many kids that need to be adopted in our world. And by the way, if you want to adopt kids, our church will help you pay for it. And we'll get you set up on a program where it doesn't cost that much. And we'll help you pay for it because adoption is a way better option. So is it okay to be a sperm donor? I I see just that the burden of proof, all of the evidence points towards there's no need for a Christian to do that. I just don't see it. Now, you can, if, if you wrote the question and you have some extenuating circumstances, we actually sat down and we we're trying to think of things of like, like, is there something that we're missing here? I think you were out of the room. You had left. So we answered your question. Second and last question. Okay. Related question. Yep. Where in the Bible were there dinosaurs? If you have one of those old family King James Bibles that's on your coffee table, we had a blue and it was about this big and about this wide. It's just sitting inside the middle of that thing. It's huge. Um, No, Job chapter 40, verse number 17 talks about them. There's evidence all over the world. There's, there's the Creation Science Museum here that has done, has done a Herculean effort, done a wonderful job on, on uh, the, the dinosaur age, the, the pre-Diluvian age or before the flood age. Um, there's some uh, creation museums in Texas that have done some amazing, amazing finds. Um, I think my dad was supposed to go on a dig one time on a day that they found giant dinosaur footprints right outside of Dallas. Uh, 
and um, really, really some cool, cool things. And, and yeah, we don't run from the concept of dinosaurs. We run to them because uh, God created them. And you say, well, what are they today? I don't know. People say they were lizards or whatever. Maybe they were. Um, I, I, I wouldn't argue that. We just know that they lived before. Amen. Last question. You have negative four minutes. Uh, negative four minutes? What is your workout plan or regimen? right now it's to try to eat okay uh no i i really do it's you think they're being funny we really believe that my body i believe that my body is the temple of god and so i want to take care of it in every way i I'll, i'll tell you what i'll probably eat tomorrow uh at least morning because my brother's in town i'll probably eat bad he'll help me sin um, because I, uh, this is what I eat almost every day. I eat two-thirds of ground beef for breakfast, one-third cup of white rice, and two cups of uh, dried spinach, just, just fresh spinach, uh, with a teaspoonful of butter and two teaspoons of beef broth or chicken broth. I heat that up, put some salt on it, and I'll eat that two times a day. Um, and then I'll try to have a healthy meal. And then before bed for a snack, I'll eat a one or two pieces of toast with a lot of butter. Why? Because I believe butter is a great healthy fat. It's, it's not bad for you. And uh, I'll <laughs> people are clapping. Yes, praise the Lord. Um, I'll eat a lot of butter on it. And then if, I, if I've worked out hard that day, meaning for like two hours-ish, um, then I'll put some jelly on it and, and I'll enjoy that. And I'll, I'll probably do that four or five days a week. Sometimes Debbie's tired and, and we don't want to cook or something like that. Or it's been real busy with her mom lately. And so we, we had a really good system. And so we, um, um, We'll eat out, but when we eat out, we like a, a splurge for us is Popeye's chicken. It's normally going to be like a pollo loco, a healthy burrito-ish, uh, meaning I'm not going to get the fries taken out because you got to have some carbohydrates, um, or poke, and, and we're going to eat like that. So to me, eating is 70% of your fitness. Uh, to me as well, um, I'm a big fan of the DECA scan. DECA scan measures your body fat content, both inside and outside your body. Because you can be really skinny. People are like, I'm skinny, I'm healthy. No, no, no. You can be toffee, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And what's the visceral fat around your arteries? So we'll, we're having a staff competition in January. Um, and we're going to all DECA scan together. And uh, we got a lot of staff things coming up. We've got the, the, the Canyon Ridge Polar Plunge uh, where we jump, we, we jump into the ocean in coming weeks. Bernie's dreading that already. Um, I have a lot of visceral fat. I'll be fine. (laughs) And so we'll get a body fat count and we want to really measure our body fat count and kind of keep that down. I want to be 15 or below. Uh, So we do CrossFit. Some days lately I've been so busy and we do CrossFit because I like variety. Remember, I just like variety. I like lifting heavy. I like variety. I like hard things. I like things that are really difficult that make me work my way through them. And so lately it's not been as good for any of us just because we've been busy with things going on. So uh, on days that I can't work out, I'll go for a long walk with the dogs. I will uh, do like body weight stuff. I will ride a bi- my bike. I have a stationary bike. Um, 
I'll burn 1,000, 1,500 calories every day that way through some, normally four or five days a week through some physical form of exercise. And then four to five days a week, I built a sauna and I'll sit in the sauna, which is like a, a, a mild cardio workout and I'll sit in that. And so, yeah, that's, that's really, I, I don't ever do bodybuilding stuff. Um, like I don't ever, you'll never, not never, you seldom see me in the gym doing like arm curls and stuff. It's just not my thing. Um, other than, so I, I've got a, a, a hyper-dominant tricep on the right side, so when I punch out on the snatch, it hyper-extends, which means nothing but to like four of you. So I have to compound that with a bigger bicep, so I have to do arm curls uh, occasionally. So anyway, I could talk for a while about that, but I do. Oh, James Flint. I, I did not know this. I didn't know this. I got to give kudos to Dr. Flint here, who's really helping the military. I'm a big proponent of vitamin D, and that the reason that most people are, one of the great problems with most people's health is very weak bones and not building bones. And so you got to have a lot of vitamin D. The best way to get vitamin D is the sun and to be in the sun. And if your body type allows, not everybody, some of you are like albinos and you see the sun and turn red. Uh, and, and so I get that, but I'm a big proponent of being in the sun, letting the sun hit your face. I never, I mean, never wear sunscreen but say, aren't you worried about cancer? I'm putting chemicals on my body that I don't know. And you're telling me the sun that God created is going to give me skin cancer. Now, I have a problem with that. Now, listen, you, if there are some folks in here that, that, that need that kind of stuff, I thank the Lord for you. Uh, Zane always wears, because he likes being pale. He's from Ohio. Um, he wears these long sleeve sun shirts and stuff like that. I want the sun to hit my body. I want strong bones. I, I don't like seeing people that get a little bit older and, and people say, well, they fell and broke their hip. Everything that I've read is most people standing, break their hips and then fall just because their body can't handle the weight. So I would say a, a regimen even of things like fish oil, because Dr. Flint taught me this, vitamin D pills demand a, I think he called them a fat soluble oil or something like that. In order for them to be absorbed into the body, you have to have a fat with them. So you could either suck on bacon or take a couple fish oil pills uh, and, and it will help. I'm a big proponent of stuff like that. Listen, I, you say, pastor, do you believe in Western medicine? I do, but I also believe that the Bible and God created things in nature to really, really help us. And my wife uh, has been immensely helped by kind of a holistic approach uh, to health, and I really, uh, that's, that's part of, of what I do. So whoever wrote that question, if you have more questions, I could talk about, I could talk about Jesus and fitness for a long time. Uh, fitness is a good diversion for me. I like learning stuff, and that's a good diversion. So anyway, now I'm going to so. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time.